the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing, Sam Moppin engineering today's program. I have to admit, earlier today, well, about an hour ago, I went to the optometrist or ophthalmologist, I'm not sure which he is, had my eyes dilated, which poses something of a challenge. It's very, very bright in this room. And seeing clearly is going to be something of a challenge. So just a little heads up. Uh, If suddenly you hear Sam speaking, you'll know that I I completely lost it, which probably wouldn't be the first time. Anyway, today we're going to talk with the executive director of StandUpGirl.com and Love'sChoice.com. There's a fundraising concert coming up later this month. Don Marie Perez is the executive director of that uh, organization. And we're also going to talk with Mark Schultz, who's coming to the Portland area. He, of course, is the platinum-selling, award-winning artist presenting a live concert. He'll be sharing his adoption story and uh, in support of StandUpGirl.com, which is a international online pregnancy resource center. Uh, and that's coming up on April the 29th, 7 o'clock p.m. at Northwest Christian Church in Newburgh, the ticket price is $20 for a single ticket, 35 for a couple. You can order your tickets and learn more at StandUpGirlEvents.com. Uh, it's also going to feature Jonathan and Emmy from Kaiser. So uh, more on that later in the program. They'll be joining me uh, one following the other in the second hour. So uh hope you can hang around for that. It's going to be a great event. It's a tremendous um, ministry and they do such effective work all around the world. I, I tell you, I've been to a couple of the events and to hear them explain how many women, how many girls are connected with the ministry, how they're reaching out to them. It's really quite impressive. So you might want to make note of the 29th and the, uh, uh, the information for purchasing your tickets. And of course, Mark Schultz pre- presents some pretty amazing music. Well, taking a look at the uh, day's news, the Senate voted to confirm Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson to the Supreme Court on Thursday. Jackson was nominated by the president after Justice Stephen Breyer announced in February that he will retire by the summer. So we've got several months with him retaining his seat before she uh, takes that seat. Jackson will join Justices Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor in the court's liberal minority. The president fulfilled a, a campaign pledge by nominating a black woman to the court. Now, Jackson will be the third African-American justice confirmed to the court after Third Good Marshall, who was the first, and the current Clarence Thomas. Jackson counted being born in the U.S. as one of many blessings in her life when she accepted the nomination on February. The United States of America is the greatest beacon of hope and democracy that the world has ever known. She said at the time, Republicans almost uniformly opposed her confirmation. Susan Collins of Maine, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, Mitt Romney of Utah voted in her favor. Romney's decision came after he voted against Jackson's nomination to a separate appeals court in 2021. 
Um, in her Romney told reporters on Tuesday that in her previous confirmation vote, I had concerns about whether or not she was in the mainstream and having spent time with her personally and reviewing her testimony before Congress became convinced that she is in the mainstream, which is kind of an interesting thought. Should a Supreme Court justice be in the mainstream or should they be? proficient in the Constitution as written. So it's an interesting perspective. Well, Senate Majority, uh, rather Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, announced his opposition on the Senate floor uh, speech on the 24th of March, citing in part her refusal uh, to take a position on packing the court during her confirmation hearing. He said Judge Jackson was the court packer's pick and she testified like it. Senator Ben Sass also announced opposition to Jackson's confirmation, saying Judge Jackson has impeccable credentials and a deep knowledge of the law. But at every turn this week, she not only refused to claim originalism as her judicial philosophy, she refused to claim any judicial philosophy at all. He said in a statement that was on the 25th of March, although she explained originalism and textualism in some detail to the committee, Judge Jackson refused to embrace them or any other precise system of limits on the judicial role. Now, that's important because it tells you how a a sitting justice is likely to rule. Are they going to rely on what the Constitution actually says in its historic context? Or are they going to rely on other external sources, public opinion, uh, trends that are contemporary and so on? Senator Josh Hawley, he initially criticized Uh, The nominee for what he claimed were lenient sentencing uh, decisions for individuals found guilty of possessing child pornography. Addressing some of those claims in Senate hearings, uh, the judge said that she took such cases very seriously. I take these cases very seriously as a mother, as someone who, as a judge, has to review the actual evidence in these cases, she said in response to the question from Senator Ted Cruz. Other Republicans, including Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas, Ted Cruz of Texas, criticized her for serving as a public defender for alleged terrorists being held at Guantanamo Bay in the wake of the 9-11 attacks. All that being said and criticisms that she was forced to address and it, to some degree addressed, During the confirmation hearing, she is now going to be the next Supreme Court justice replacing uh, the justice who will be stepping away. So there you have it. By the way, the vote was 53 to 47 to confirm Judge Katanji Brown Jackson as the 116th Supreme Court justice today, making history on the bench while leaving unchanged the conservative dominance of the court, preparing to tackle gay rights, environmental regulations and race in college admissions. In other news, uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has tested positive for COVID-19, according to her office, marking the first time the Democratic leader has contracted the virus after two years of touting strict coronavirus protocols at the House. Her spokesman uh, made the announcement on Thursday, just as uh, Pelosi, who's 82, was scheduled to hold her weekly news conference at the Capitol. Uh, Drew Hamill tweeted, after testing negative this week, Speaker Pelosi received a positive test result for COVID-19 and is currently asymptomatic. The Speaker is fully vaccinated and boosted and is thankful for the robust protection the vaccine has provided, end quote. He went on to add the Speaker will quarantine consistent with CDC guidance and encourages everyone to get vaccinated, boosted and test tested regularly. Well, Pelosi was at the White House on Wednesday in close proximity to the president. In fact, she kissed him on the cheek. 
Um, it was for the bill signing event for postal reform legislation. She was unmasked next to the president on Tuesday. She was also at the White House for the Affordable Care Act event with the president and former uh, President Obama. She was seen kissing uh, Biden on the cheek Tuesday at that event. The White House said that Biden tested negative for the virus Wednesday night. Pelosi wasn't considered a close in close contact, which is quite interesting. She was in close proximity, kissed him on the cheek. Uh, but they said it wasn't a considered close contact as defined by the CDC uh, as contact of at least 15 minutes, at least um, at less than six feet apart. So they've sort of uh, made this OK. Kissing is all right as long as it's less than 15 minutes. So there you have it. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue to wind our way through some of the top news stories. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Later in the program, we're going to talk about an event that's coming up for StandUpGirl.com, April 29th at Northwest Christian Church in Newburgh. Details coming in the second hour of today's program. Well, the Walt Disney Company, already in hot water with Florida's Republican Party, may have also put itself in a precarious position with Republicans on Capitol Hill by taking a vocal stand against the Sunshine State's recently passed parental rights and education bill, which has been largely mischaracterized. In Florida, Republicans have threatened to revoke Disney's special status as a quasi-self-governing entity by dissolving the Reedy Creek Improvement District, an effectively autonomous locality the state created so the company would establish Walt Disney World Resort. The threat came in response to Disney's vocal opposition to the Parents' Rights and Education Bill. Well, signed into law by Governor Ron DeSantis last month, the bill in question would prohibit classroom instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity from kindergarten through the third grade. And while Disney didn't lobby against the bill as it was moving through the legislature, they spoke out publicly against it in response to demands from progressive activists and employees. Well, now the storied American company may face consequences on Capitol Hill. Disney's copyright on its signature Steamboat Willie Mickey Mouse from the 1928 short film of the same name is set to expire January 1st, 2024. Though later depictions of Mickey will remain protected by separate copyright. In the past, both the company and legislature have sprung into action to keep the depiction out of the public domain. This time, it might be more difficult to secure such an extension. With a 1984 deadline looming, Gerald Ford signed the Copyright Act in 1976 in no small part thanks to the efforts of Disney's lobbyists. Well, that pushed Disney's singular claim to Mickey out to 2003. Always one step ahead, lobbyists for Disney secured the second extension in the form of a copyright term extension in 1998. So the influential was the House of the Mouse in its passage. Critics uh, dubbed the bill the Mickey Mouse Protection Act. It passed through both chambers of Congress in on voice votes. Now, it may seem like a small thing, but there's a lot of money behind uh, that copyright. There's little chance that a third extension will pass so smoothly as several prominent Republicans who are going to, in all likelihood, find themselves in the majority in both houses of Congress after the midterms, according to uh, many sources, And they say they would oppose such a measure. Representative Jim Banks, who chairs the Republican Study Committee, it's a pretty prominent caucus with significant influence over lawmakers in the GOP, is presently circulating a letter addressing um, Disney and a letter addressed to Disney CEO Bob Chapek, 
expressing opposition to further extensions applicable to Disney's copyrights. Well, in the letter, he cites the company's kowtowing to the People's Republic of China, as well as to uh, its opposition to the Parental Rights and Education Bill, which Banks argues represents a capitulation to far-left activists through hypocritical, woke corporate actions. Well, as reason for opposing another copyright extension, that might be it. It's unfortunate, he says, that Disney, once an American success story, has, ra- has allied rather with a hostile foreign regime and domestic ideologues who seek to tear our country apart. Banks uh, went on to say, and while his office has not yet made public the rest of the signatories to the statement, there is, at um, first glance appears to be quite a bit of support for the idea. Representative Jim Jordan He's a Republican out of Iowa. He uh, is a former chairman of the House Freedom Caucus and the ranking Republican on the Judiciary Committee from which any copyright bill would emerge. He concurred with Banks, telling National Review that Disney used to be an inspiration for all American families, but it seems now to have given in to the woke mob. That'll be an interesting story to follow as it develops. Well, the FBI has halted Ted, uh, halted rather, Russian hacking. They wrestled... um, Control of thousands of routers and firewall appliances, rather, away from Russian military hackers by hijacking the very same devices Moscow spies had been using to set up a botnet. And in what some perceive as another effort in cashing in, President Biden's younger sister will kick off her book tour ahead of her uh, memoir released next week, which could create a headache for the White House. I should say another Headache, looking more like a migraine these days. And the tragic Orlando freefall, a loophole in Florida law, may have prevented the operator of the Orlando freefall ride from being required to display a maximum weight sign. You'll recall a young man uh, fell from that ride over 70 feet to his death uh, about a week or so ago during spring break. Texas Governor Greg Abbott said that undocumented migrants released into his state will be shipped to the steps of the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C. He sounded serious. We'll see what actually happens. He would force then Washington to deal with the problem that Texas has had to manage on its own. The Ukraine invasion could prove to be a boom for uh, U.S. defense spending and weapons exports after they fell by more than 20 percent to one hundred and thirty eight billion dollars. Laura Ingram said Wednesday that the left is preoccupied with pushing sexual and gender identity education on younger and younger children. In the Title 42 battle, Senate Republicans pushed an amendment reinstating Title 24 in the $10 billion COVID-19 relief bill. And insisting he, she is they, them, an LGBTQ reporter who goes by they, them pronouns, is upset that MSNBC, as woke as it is, misgendered the reporter during a segment on women facing online harassment. And quite frankly, I'm not sure if the uh, disgruntled employee is male or female. Greg Gutfeld says the Democrats are in bad shape. The latest Fox News poll shows the president drowning on every key issue. He's so underwater, Gutfeld quipped, the Secret Service had to entangle him from a fisherman's net. Andy uh, Puzder, he points out that Biden is attacking oil companies for failing to do exactly what the administration has prevented them from doing, increasing oil production. The House has recommended contempt of Congress charges for Trump associates Peter Navarro and Dan Severino Jr. by a vote of 220 to 203, largely along party lines. 
Uh, The House on Wednesday, the New York Times reports, voted to recommend criminal contempt of Congress charges against the pair. Two close allies of former President Donald J. Trump after the pair defied subpoenas from the special committee investigating the January 6th, 2021 attack on the Capitol. The New York Post reports both men argued their silence was protected under executive privilege, which was waived after the Biden administration found the exemption was not in the national interest and therefore is not justified. Political or legal decision? You can decide for yourself. Former White House strategist Steve Bannon and former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows were also found in contempt after ignoring the panel's subpoenas. Governor Abbott announced a plan to send illegal migrants back to D.C. on buses. More details on that in the National Review. As inflation, supply chains issues and Russia's ongoing invasion of Ukraine command national attention, migrants are still pouring across the southern border with Mexico. Governor Abbott said Texas will address the migrant influx, which he accused the Biden administration of fueling by rerouting them to Washington, D.C. on charter buses. Twitter, um, Greg Abbott says this, Texas is providing charter buses to said to send these illegal immigrants who've been dropped off by the Biden administration to Washington, D.C. From the Texas Tribune, Governor Abbott's announcement is in response to the administration's decision last month to roll back a pandemic era emergency health order known as Title 42 that allowed immigration authorities to turn away migrants at the border, even those seeking asylum. That order, which was put in place during the former president, Donald Trump's administration, has allowed immigration authorities to manage the sometimes overwhelming number of migrants trying to enter the country. The Oklahoma House passed a bill that would ban virtually all abortions. The Oklahoma House on Tuesday voted overwhelmingly for a Republican bill that would make performing an abortion illegal and punishable by up to 10 years in prison. The vote was 70 to 14 after lawmakers added it to the agenda on Monday night, catching some by surprise. There was little discussion or debate. The bill which passed the Senate last year would make performing an abortion a felony. Anyone convicted, uh, convicted rather, would face up to 10 years in prison and a $100,000 fine. The measure heads to Governor Kevin Stitt, who has signed his um, uh, signaled rather his openness to signing anti-abortion or pro-life legislation into law. The law makes an exception if the life of the mother is in danger. The BBC's spin, the state's governor, Kevin Stitt, will be presented with a bill for his approval. The Republican has already committed to signing into law any legislation that restricts abortion. Republican Representative Jim Olson, who authored the bill, said he was thrilled by its passage and said the legislation could see many lives, save many lives of babies. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in the second hour, we'll talk about StandUpGirl.com. They've got an event coming up to which you are cordially invited. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in the second hour of today's program, we'll have a conversation with Don Marie Perez, executive director of StandUpGirl.com and LovesChoice.com. And by the way, Love's Choice was created to take an honest look at the painful beauty of adoption and to provide tools to help each woman honestly assess the choices before her. These two uh, expressions of pro-life ministry will be the subject of our conversation and an event coming up in which they're uh, going to raise funds 
funds to keep this uh, tremendous work going. Mark Schultz will be my second guest. He's a platinum-selling, award-winning artist. He'll be live in concert. He'll also share his adoption story. All of that coming up in the second hour of today's program. Well, vetoed by Governor Andy Bashir from the story, Kentucky's governor vetoed a bill banning transgender females from participating in girls' school sports on Wednesday. Senate Bill 83, called the Save Women's Sports Act and sponsored by Senator Robbie Mills, directs the Kentucky School District Athletic Association Board of Control to pass regulations banning those identified as male on their birth certificate from participating on girls' sports teams. Current uh, Kentucky uh, policies allow transgender student athletes to compete, uh, compete rather, on teams based on their gender identities if they have undergone sex reassignment before puberty or undergone much procedures, uh, such procedures and take hormonal therapies. Alliance Defending Freedom Senior Counsel and Vice President of Advocacy Strategy, Emil Cow commented on the, uh, the new uh, law. Women and girls deserve to compete on a level playing field. When we ignore biological reality, female athletes lose medals, podium spots, public recognition and opportunities to compete, not to mention scholarships. We've seen increasing examples across the country of male dominating girls athletic competitions when competing as females Capturing championships, shattering longstanding female track records by vetoing this bill. Governor Bashir has chosen to reject fairness in sports for thousands of women and girls in Kentucky. We commend the legislatures for uh, who took a stand for the level playing field for female athletes of all ages. And we urge them to swiftly overturn the governor's veto. Uh, the uh, writer said. That's Alliance Defending Freedom, by the way. Well, Democrats are being called out for creating the energy crisis as uh, Democrats who've been waging a war on the oil and gas industry continue to blame Vladimir Putin. Americans and some in the media aren't buying it. In fact, the anti-fracking records of congressional climate activists are being scrutinized ahead of the midterm elections. Democrats have backed themselves into something of a corner. So writes Town Hall. Matt Whitlock on Twitter points out that, oh, man, these Democrats are walking into a buzzsaw of their own making. Just a year ago, they were screaming at energy execs to reduce oil production. Today, they're going to theatrically accuse them of price gouging. Spencer Brown also on Twitter says oil and gas CEOs aren't the ones who killed pipeline projects, revoked drilling leases or promised to get rid of fossil fuels. And finally, Fox News reported Republicans have been beating the drum that Biden's policies, including canceling the Keystone XL pipeline and freezing new oil and gas leases on federal lands, started driving up the gas price prior to the war on Ukraine. Palm Springs, California, approved a program to give trans non-binary uh, residents up to $900 a month, a gender non-conforming incentive. Well, transgender residents in Palm Springs, California, are eligible to receive a UBI of up to $900 per month solely for identifying as transgender or non-binary. No strings attacked, attached. rather. The new pilot program will have $200,000 set aside for allocation after a unanimous vote by the Palm Springs City Council last week. Town Hall points out Palm Springs Mayor Lisa Middleton, a Democrat who is transgender, said that transgender Americans suffer extremely high rates of underemployment and face enormous challenges living full and authentic lives. Now, again, there are no strings attached. It doesn't matter if you're an executive, a CEO, 
uh, if you identify, self-identify, maybe you're not even eligible to work. Jason Rant said uh, Palm Springs hopes to use taxpayer funds for guaranteed income exclusively for transgender residents. That's wrong, but it's part of a much bigger scheme. We'll continue to watch what happens in Palm Springs and who ultimately pays uh, for this um, incentive. Jen Psaki obfuscates on the recommendation letter for a Chinese businessman's son by then uh, Vice President Biden. You can understand why she wants a new job. There's rumor and she hasn't confirmed it, but MSNBC is looking to hire her. President Joe Biden wrote a college recommendation letter to Brown University for the son of a Chinese executive tied to his son, Hunter Biden, according to emails that originated on the son's laptop. Well, the contents of the letter haven't been disclosed. However, the president has previously denied taking uh, rather talking to Hunter about his business ventures. National Review writes that based on a review of emails from Hunter Biden's laptop at the start of 2017, Jonathan Lee reached out to Hunter and his American business associates, Devin Archer and James Bulger, asked them for advice to supplement the college application of Lee's son, Christopher. Lee was a honcho at the Chinese um, equity firm. He uh, became Hunter's partner in a very lucrative venture, Bohai Harvest RST. They began discussing the venture in 2012, but it got off the ground in 2013 when Hunter hitched a ride on Air Force Two with his father, then the vice president, who was headed to Beijing on behalf of the Obama administration for discussions with President Xi. Well, RNC research says Jen Psaki refuses to say if Joe Biden wrote a college letter of recommendation for the son, Hunter Biden's Chinese business partner. But evidence seems to suggest that was the case while he was vice president. Suggesting conservatives are like terrorists, Joy Reid said Republicans vote like Al Qaeda fights. Well, MSNBC host Joy Reid, who says many outrageous things, compared conservatives to terrorists on a Twitter thread, saying that they capitalize on liberals' failure to turn out a smaller interim election and arguing that Republicans vote the way Al Qaeda fights. Not quite sure what she means by that, but then again, I'm confused by a lot of things she says. Joy Reid said Republicans voted like Al Qaeda fights with a patient long term goal of seizing power and forcing the liberal culture to heal under the boot, no matter how many elections it takes. Many Democrats get frustrated after every setback and give up on voting without much of a fight. She apparently misunderstands the nature of elections, both the Democrat and the Republican parties seek to dominate. They want to win elections so that their views are predominant. That's not unusual, nor is it reserved to one side of the political aisle. Fox News says this week she said on her show, Republicans who vote against Supreme Court nominee Katanji Brown Jackson are on the Dixiecrat side of history and that Donald Trump would have been prosecuted by now if he was a Democrat. So much could be said. I'll leave it alone. Americans dislike Disney's aggressive LGBTQ agenda. The latest Rasmussen reports national telephone and online survey finds that only 28 percent of American adults believe the emphasis on inclusion and diversity by companies like Disney is making children's entertainment better. Forty five percent think uh, the push for inclusion is making kids entertainment worse, while 18 percent say that it makes no difference at all. They're apparently not paying attention. PJ Media says this is probably not the news that Disney executives wanted to hear after a company-wide Zoom meeting that was leaked last week showing Karen Burke, the president of Disney's general entertainment content, saying Disney has many, many, many LGBTQIA characters in our stories. The leaked uh, recording also showed executive producer Latoya Ravenue 
uh, stating that her team has implemented a not-at-all-secret gay agenda and is regularly adding queerness to children's programming. Australia is working with the USA and the UK on a $2.6 billion missile defense system to counter China. CNN reports that Australia will spend $2.6 billion to upgrade its defensive missiles as the security environment in the Asia-Pacific region becomes more challenging due to China's assertiveness. The plan, which will significantly increase the range of missiles on Australia's warships and warplanes, comes as Australia said it will participate in developing hypersonic missiles with the United States and the United Kingdom as part of the AUKUS deal the three countries signed last year to build nuclear-powered submarines in Canberra. The BBC reports that hypersonic weapons are those that exceed five times the speed of sound. They are harder to defend against because of their speed as well as the fact that they fly at low altitudes beyond the line of sight of ground-based radars and can maneuver mid-flight. God help us when Russia, the United States, China, uh, and other countries take advantage of these new weapons. The time is coming. Remember when we will study war no more. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Biden inflation has Americans cutting costs and buying generics as the inflation rate was jumping last year because of Joe Biden's American Rescue Plan. He made what was eventually a failed effort to get the Build Back Better boondoggle through Congress. Well, he promised that spiking inflation rates now at a 40-year high would be only temporary, transitory. To help buttress his clearly his claim, rather, Democrats sought to uh, and trumpeted the opinion of several Nobel Prize winning economists led by Joseph Stiglitz. They sent an open letter declaring that despite the clear indications to the contrary, new money from the government would produce no inflation. Maybe these economists sought to be back at school because their opinions were more political than practical. Well, meanwhile, Americans are suffering from the high inflation and they're buying fewer items and more generic brands in an effort to cut costs as the high inflation is proving to be anything but transitory. The CDC is trying to rebrand itself as most of the country's gotten closer to a return to normal following the COVID pandemic. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention hopes to rehab its severely tarnished image due to its uh, response to the pandemic. The agency repeatedly demonstrated it was more beholden to politics than doing good science, which is why it's now attempting to rebrand itself. Well, the trouble is the administration is doing this not to return the CDC to a sound science-based agency, but to make it into even more of a political tool. The director, Rochelle Walensky, said the revamping would be conducted by Health and Human Services folks, not an outside non-government organization. So much accountability, it's stunning. And uh, don't forget, this rebrand will all be done on the taxpayer's dime. Michigan Governor Whitner is um, suing for abortion rights. Democrats are either nervous that the U.S. Supreme Court will overturn Roe versus Wade, or they're using it as a tactic for political gain. Um, one commentator suggests that fear is the best tool for the Democrats to use in what could be 
a rather dramatic midterm. To that end, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer has launched a preemptive lawsuit against 13 counties in her state. Whitmer, who's up for re-election this year, is pledging to protect abortion rights by seeking to overturn a ban against abortion in the state constitution. Michigan is one of eight states with an unenforced ban on abortion, which was effectively rendered moot in 1973 following the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton rulings. Whitmer now wants to enshrine abortion rights into Michigan's constitution, and she's banking on it being a winning issue for her come November. This will be interesting to see if that's the case. And keep in mind, the Supreme Court is taking up the issue of Roe v. Wade. And there is a lot of fear among uh, governors and others that they may just uh, overturn it. Russia was fully withdrawn from Kiev region. Ukraine's stunning defeat of Russia in Kiev and the north is really a big deal, military experts say. But NATO is expecting a major offensive from Putin in eastern Ukraine. The alliance is preparing for a long-haul war. A judge acquitted a January 6th protester in the first defeat for the Department of Justice. And hundreds of Hunter and James Biden bank transactions have been marked concerning. The investigation in Delaware continues. Kenosha County ravaged by BLM riots flipped red after decades of Democrat leadership. Kentucky's governor vetoed a bill banning boy athletes from girls sports. And Palm Springs is literally going to pay people $900 a month just for being or identifying rather transgender or non-binary. Well, this week in history, 1798, the Mississippi Territory is created by an act of Congress The Nanchez is uh, as the capital. 1862, Union forces led by General Ulysses S. Grant defeat the Confederates at the Battle of Shiloh in Tennessee. 1927, the image and voice of Commerce Secretary Herbert Hoover are transmitted live from Washington to New York in the first successful long-distance demonstration of television. 1954, President Dwight D. Eisenhower holds a news conference in which he speaks of the importance of containing the spread of communism in Indochina, saying you have a row row of dominoes set up and you knock over the first one. And what will happen to the last one is the certainty that it will go over very quickly. This would become known as the domino theory, although Eisenhower didn't use that term in his speech. 1959, a referendum in Oklahoma repeals the state's ban on alcohol beverages. 1962, nearly 1,200 Cuban exiles tried by Cuba for their roles in the failed Bay of Pigs invasion are convicted of treason. 1966, the U.S. Navy recovers a hydrogen bomb that the U.S. Air Force lost in the Mediterranean Sea off Spain following a B-52 crash. 1978, President Jimmy Carter announces he is deferring the development of the neutron bomb, a high radiation weapon. 1983, space shuttle astronauts Story Musgrave and Don Peterson, they go on the first U.S. spacewalk in almost a decade as they work on the open cargo bay of the Challenger for nearly four hours. 1994, civil war erupts in Rwanda, a day after a mysterious plane crash killed the presidents of Rwanda and Burundi. In the months that followed, hundreds of thousands of minority Tutsi and Hutu moderates would be slaughtered by Hutu extremists. 2008, anti-China protesters disrupt the Olympic torch relay in Paris, at times forcing Chinese organizers to put out the flame and take the torch onto a bus to secure it. And finally, on this day in history, 2009, Vermont becomes the fourth state after Connecticut, Massachusetts and Iowa to legalize same-sex marriage.
We've got uh, news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. And I want to remind you that in this uh, second hour, we'll be talking with Don Marie Perez, who is the executive director of StandUpGirl.com, and Mark Schultz, who is a platinum-selling, award-winning uh, artist. Uh, he'll be live in concert for a fundraising event for the organization. We'll talk with both of them about that upcoming event. I mentioned earlier that uh, Texas plans on shipping uh, those who are dropped off in Texas to Washington, D.C. to force them to take on uh, immigration reform. Seemed to be the message being sent yesterday by the governor to uh, Joe Biden and his Open Borders administration when the governor declared during a press conference that immigrants released into his state will be packed up and shipped off to the nation's capital instead, uh, either via bus or charter flight. To help local officials whose communities are being overwhelmed by hordes of um, immigrants who are being dropped off by the Biden administration, the governor said, Texas is providing charter buses to send these immigrants to Washington, D.C. We're sending them to the United States Capitol, where the Biden administration will be able to more immediately address the needs of the people that they are allowing to come across our border. Now, is he serious about that? Well, at a glance, we thought, uh, well, good for Texas and good for Governor Abbott. But as the Texas Tribune subsequently noted, the uh, governor's office clarified that the program is completely voluntary and only applicable to those who'd already been processed and released by the Department of Homeland Security. So not quite what it seemed, at least by the uh, the governor's pronouncement. It's a gimmick, said State Representative Matt Schaefer, a self-described liberty-loving conservative, Well, given the muscular headlines from yesterday's presser, we see Schaefer's point. Still, the message Abbott is sending is better than a sternly worded memo and far better than a mere shrug of the shoulders. Texas Department of Public Safety Lieutenant Chris Olivares uh, took up Abbott's defense, saying the governor is very clear yesterday when he made that announcement. And that's just an example of strong leadership, but not only standing up for Texans into in law enforcement, but also taking a stance against the federal government by sending a clear message that the state of Texas has zero tolerance and we are no longer going to tolerate the mass releasing of illegal immigrants into border communities because it puts a strain on resources. Behind that announcement, he went on to say, is to relieve some of the strain on the local border community, but especially for our federal partners, U.S. Border Patrol, because they are so overwhelmed right now and the processing facilities are at capacity. That's why you're seeing mass releasing of illegal immigrants into border communities. Contrast this sensible message with that of the Texas Tribune and the rest of the state's open borders media, which called Abbott's announcement a stunning plan that sent a shockwave through the illegal immigration rights community. We wonder what rights uh, are these individuals entitled to upon breaking into our country, aside from being treated humanely, he went on to ask. Well, he asked uh, yesterday, Nate Jackson warned that the border situation is about to get even worse. Governor Abbott clearly agrees. In addition to his D.C. tourism transports, he's also promised boat blockades and enhanced vehicle inspection at points of entry. Still, he states uh, his state's border checkpoints are being overwhelmed and conditions are only going to get worse with the Biden administration's recession of the rescission rather of the Title 42, a Trump era public health order that granted the Border Patrol power to immediately expel immigrants under the auspices of fighting the spread of covid. In light of all of this, who in his right mind can blame the governor? Well, we'll see what actually happens. Uh, the arguments that are being made by both Democrats and Republicans is that while um, COVID uh, might be in hand here, those who are coming into the country, uh, not so much.
Again, we'll follow the story as it develops. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, News and Traffic, up next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. In this hour, we'll have a conversation with Don Marie Perez, executive director of StandUpGirl.com and LovesChoice.com. Uh, we're going to talk about an upcoming concert event, a fundraiser for StandUpGirl.com. You'll learn more about the details. Mark Schultz will be the uh, featured artist. He is a platinum-selling, award-winning artist. Uh, the concert will be live. He'll share his adoption story. You'll laugh, you'll cry. It's going to be a great evening. That's coming up on the 29th of April, 7 o'clock p.m. at Northwest Christian Church in Newburgh. We'll fill you in with all the important details. But if you want to check it out ahead of time, go to StandUpGirlEvents.com. So there you have it. Well, the U.N. General Assembly voted to suspend Russia from the organization's Human Rights Council today, or rather yesterday. Ninety-three member states voted in favor of a relationship to suspend Russia. Twenty-four voted against. Fifty-eight abstained. Countries may be suspended by the Human Rights Commission by a vote of two-thirds of the assembly members who cast a yes or no vote. The ambassador to the U.N., Linda Thomas-Greenfield, who did a great job, said on Monday that the U.S. would attempt to suspend Russia for the HRC after Ukraine claimed the Russian forces had killed dozens of civilians in Bucha in uh, Kiev suburb. Russia's participation on the Human Rights Council is a farce. That's a quote from Thomas Greenfield at the time. And it's wrong, which is why we believe it's time for the U.N. General Assembly vote to remove them. Well, over 100 civilians there discovered buried in mass graves in Bucha after Russian forces left the area and some bodies were found lying in the street. The Wall Street Journal and other outlets reported officials said civilians have discovered hundreds of additional bodies in the days since, with some bodies showing signs of torture. Russia has repeatedly denied accusations of war crimes by its forces in Ukraine. The U.N. Human Rights Council was founded in 2006, and Russia is the second country to be expelled from that body. The first country voted off the um, the council was Libya, which was removed in 2011 after civil war ended the, re- the reign of Muammar Gaddafi. Well, Russian President uh, Vladimir Putin is endeavoring to build a pro-Russian empire stretching from Vladivostok to Lisbon. That's a quote from a former Russian president warning that that's the, the view. Ex-president and deputy chairman of the Russian Security Council, Dmitry Medvedev, said Putin launched his brutal invasion of the former Soviet Republic to bring peace to Ukraine in a telegram post. Well, the allegations were made at West, as Western leaders shared fears that Moscow was planning a new military offensive in the southern and eastern parts of Ukraine. Medvedev said to change the bloody and full of false myths consciousness of a part of today's Ukraine is the most important goal. The goal is for the sake of the peace of future generations of Ukrainians themselves and the opportunity to fully build and open Eurasia from Lisbon to Vladivostok, end quote. Well, he further accused Nazis, murderers and collaborators of stirring up Russia-phobia in Ukraine since the collapse of the Soviet Union in 91. The ex-Russian leader also said Putin's special military operation in Ukraine was undertaken in a bid to demilitarize and denazify the country. Medvedev added the offensive will not only be decided on the battlefields, he also questioned the legitimacy of the Ukrainian sovereignty, saying the passionate part of Ukrainians 
has been praying for the Third Reich for the last 30 years. Now, you'll recall that um, Walensky is himself Jewish. Well, the former president revealed on Wednesday Moscow intends to fight attempts to seize Russian property uh, abroad in courts around the globe. He said our opponents should understand that they will face a large number of cases in court, both in the nation's uh, courts and uh, of the United States in Europe and in international courts. Well, Medvedev's comments come with heightened concerns from Western officials, including NATO, uh, that Russia will push to try to capture Ukraine's eastern region of Donbass in the coming weeks, if not days. Officials warned Russian troops may attempt to create a land bridge to occupied Crimea. Ukrainian President Zelensky Uh, Yesterday, accused Russian military of carrying out the worst of crimes since World War II. He told the U.N. Security Council that civilians had been murdered and Russian tanks had crushed people for pleasure. After finishing his speech via video link, he showed gruesome images of Ukrainians, including charred and mutilated bodies. Zelensky said the military searched for and purposely killed people, uh, anyone who served our country. They killed entire families, adults and children, and they tried to burn the bodies. He urged the U.N. to take action, saying failure to do so would make the world body ineffectual. Zelensky added, are you ready to close the U.N. and the time of international law is gone? If you answer no, then you need to act immediately. President Zelensky was praised for his ferocious and passionate attack on the military, telling the U.N. that accountability must be inevitable. He said we're dealing with a state that turns its vetoes at the U.N. Security Council into the right to cause death. Before Putin launched his invasion into Ukraine, the parliament in Russia, a deputy chairman said Finland and Ukraine should be incorporated back into the enlarged Russia. Speaking in January, he claimed that NATO members, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, will crawl back under the Kremlin's sway after realizing the insignificance of their position, according to uh, local media. Uh, Tolstoy did not uh, specify how this restoration might happen. That's the name of the uh, the official, but claimed it could be in the next 10 years. So is this a uh, preview of what's to come or does he honestly believe that these countries will feel compelled to return under the umbrella? He later claimed that his comments about the Kremlin restoring its old empire at a Russia press day event had been a joke, but he previously made clear he holds such views. Last year, he declared there will be no Ukraine, describing it as part of Russia, which has temporarily seceded. Russian military is um, having trouble in Ukraine, but some are saying that the U.S. could have similar trouble in the Pacific. If the U.S. doesn't improve its logistics, a defense uh, of Taiwan against China is likely to fail. Seth Cropsey, he writes that Western observers of Russian failure in Ukraine likely we'll see will soon begin arguing that Moscow's inefficiencies diminish Washington's need to rebuild the U.S. military. The Russian failure has stemmed from logistical issues and the U.S. military's capabilities like Russia's aren't prepared for major combat with a global power. The Russian military didn't invest enough in logistics, despite spending lavishly on the polished hardware that appears in military parades. The Russian military, like its Soviet predecessor, remains A conscript force and has neither enough professional non-commissioned officers to maintain uh, equipment nor enough officers trained in logistics. In combat, there is a major difference between a military driver with three years of training and an 18-year-old conscript with a driver's license. 
The Russians expect a Ukrainian collapse, but logistical incompetence prevented Russia from supporting multiple fronts simultaneously. Russia has now withdrawn its uh, units from the northeastern part of Ukraine toward the Donbass region and has abandoned a significant amount of armor and artillery in the process. And it's tempting to ascribe this failure to authoritarian conditions and assume that America and allied armed forces would be immune to such incompetence. But the U.S. military may encounter logistical problems at a similar scale to Russia if the U.S. defends Taiwan against an assault by China. The People's Liberation Army isn't the Russian military, nor does it face the same operational difficulties. It is a sobering warning. Well, coming up, we're going to change gears altogether. We'll talk with uh, Marie, uh, Don Marie Perez, executive director of Stand Up Girl, about an event to which you are cordially invited. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to be talking later in the program with Mark Schultz. He is presenting a concert for StandUpGirl.com Foundation. He's, of course, a platinum-selling, award-winning artist. He's going to be performing live in concert. And we want to make sure you have all the important details because you're not going to want to miss it. But before we do that, I wanted to have a conversation with the executive director of StandUpGirl.com and LovesChoice.com, Don Marie Perez. Don, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me again, Georgine. Well, I don't want to presume that all of our listeners are familiar with StandUpGirl.com and um, more recently, LovesChoice.com. Explain them. Well, StandUp Girl is essentially a virtual pregnancy center. We offer um, the same resources a young girl in crisis would find at a brick-and-mortar pregnancy center where they're connected go on the internet and they're looking for information about pregnancy symptoms or I think I'm pregnant and they would find Stand Up Girl and when they come to our site, we have a wealth of information on the site including um, fetal development images, videos, um, chat rooms. They can email us for help and essentially we've created a community of women that are able to help other women. And when they say, hey, I really need some help, I'm not sure what to do, we then get them connected with a local pregnancy center in their neighborhood so they can have a face-to-face conversation with someone and get the help that they need. From this, we found a great need to have a website that talked about really the beauty of adoption. And loveschoice.com is a website um, full of testimonies from birth mothers, adoptive parents, and the adoptive child. And the three of them coming together and sharing their story about how adoption is really a love choice. And it's one of the greatest gifts that you could give a child if you don't feel that you're ready to parent them or you don't have the means to do that. Um, Because the world has changed so much and with open adoption, um, young women are able to um, choose a family and and actually have a long-term relationship not only with the adoptive family but with their child. And we just really wanted to get out the fact that there's a, a, a lot of beauty in this and it's not something that needs to have a negative thought about it or a young woman doesn't need to feel that she's not a good parent if she chooses to um, have to go through the adoption process with their child. And so that's what Love's Choice is really about. And we refer young women to Love's Choice when they're in that point of the stage where they think, you know, I do want to give life to my child, but I'm just not sure if I'm ready to 
be able to raise this child. So what can they do? And that's where Love's Choice came about. And both of these are available on the internet to anyone around the world. And then we turn around and we refer them to someone in their neighborhood that they can talk to -to face-to-face, establish a relationship, and get the support and resources that they need to move forward with their pregnancy. I just want to emphasize around the world. This is a ministry that has an impact on women and girls around the world. And the numbers are staggering. Uh, The numbers of uh, women who communicate and connect through StandUpGirl.com, and I'm certain with Love's Choice as well. Um, The concert that we've been talking about with Mark Schultz is a live concert. He's going to be sharing his adoption story. That's coming up on April 29th at Northwest Christian Church. Uh, Tell us how folks who uh, resonate with the ministries you've just described, how they can help and how this uh, concert can help connect them. Well, as we all know, we've gone through this COVID thing for the last couple of years. So this is going to be our first in-person fundraising event that we've been able to have since February of 2020. And that is how we raise the funds to provide the services that we do. So this event is um, really critical for us as a fundraising event. And Mark has been gracious enough to say, hey, I'm going to share my story. I'm on a quest to raise money for pregnancy centers and I consider you one of those uh, ministries that I want to support. So if people are interested, they can go to StandUpGirlEvents.com and register for the event. We have individual tickets, tickets for couples, or we're also giving a group discount. Um, There's no fee for children under 10. And if someone really wants to go to the concert and it's a financial struggle for them, feel free to call our office. We don't want anyone to be left out of this event. And they can call us and we will get them a ticket so they could attend the event. And our office number is 503-554-5683. And again, this concert is coming up on the 29th of April at Northwest Christian Church in Newburgh. The doors will open at 615. Music will start at 645 and the concert from 7 to 830. And you'll have an opportunity to hear a wonderful music duo, um, Jonathan and Emmy. Uh, They're a married couple from Kaiser. They're singing and writing songs together. And Emmy is the singer-songwriter for the Stand Up Girl feature song. So they're going to be an important part of this uh, this evening. We're going to talk a bit later with uh, Mark Schultz, who'll be the uh, the main artist for this event. And I know people will find that he is such a warm-hearted, gifted musician who has a real uh, heart and a story to tell about his own connection with um, having been placed for adoption and his love for his birth mother. Yes, it's going to be, his story is so beautiful, and um, we're just really hoping that it's going to encourage other people to look into um, an adoption situation, because there's so many children out there, and there's a lot of families who would like to have their family grow, and adoption is a beautiful way to be able to do that. How important is this fundraiser? You mentioned the pandemic uh, put a stop to virtually everything, but um, how important is this fundraiser for Stand Up Girl moving forward? Well, um, we typically have a spring gala that um, brings in about $100,000 to Santa Girl, which is um, a little under what we actually spend each year on making sure that Santa Girl is um, on a first search for Google or on a Bing search or even on social media when girls are looking for help. And so it's critical for us to be able to have people come alongside us and support us in this event is a springboard for that, that people can always go onto our foundation site, which is standupgirlfoundation.org, 
and they can always give if they can't attend the event. But it's critical for us since we've had to go for almost two years now and not have an in-person event and be able to meet face-to-face mm. with our donors again. And so we're just really praying that um, not only are people blessed by Mark's um, message, but that they are able to step back and say, you know, Lord, what can I do to be a steward of the blessings you've given me and be able to turn around and bless somebody else through Stand Up Girl. Yeah, and I, I know people are going to be blessed and encouraged and inspired uh, and challenged, all of those things in one single night. Let me encourage you to save the date, April 29th, Northwest Christian Church. Um, that's in Newburgh, and the doors will open at 6.15. You can enjoy some, enjoy rather, some music at 6.45, and the concert will begin at 7. $20 for a single ticket, $35 per couple. Um, please check it out, and you can purchase your tickets and find out more at StandUpGirlEvents.com. If you need to talk about... Um, uh, a group or you have questions about whether or not you can attend, you can phone standupgirl.com at 503-554-5683. Again, that's 503-554-5683. Well, Don Marie, I'm so grateful for your leadership and this um, effective ministry that's reaching women and girls all around the globe. And I'm just hoping and praying that this will be we will exceed your expectations and be a successful event in that people come in great numbers and give generously because this is definitely a, a ministry worth supporting. Well, we pray that's the result to Georgine. And um, I thank you for sharing our message and just being a supporter of um, what we're doing. It really means a lot to me and our board and our staff to know that you're behind us and you're supporting us with getting the message out for us. Well, I certainly am. And I thank you again for joining us today. Thanks, Georgine. Have a wonderful day. God bless you. Bye-bye. Again, Don Marie Perez is the executive director of StandUpGirl.com and their newest edition, which I I just love, LovesChoice.com, created to take an honest look at the painful beauty of adoption and to provide tools to each woman honestly uh, assessing the choices before her. So that's uh, another part of the ministry you might also want to check out. The website to purchase your ticket StandUpGirlEvents.com. Well, coming up, we're going to talk with Mark Schultz. He is, as I mentioned, the platinum-selling, award-winning artist. He's going to be live in concert sharing his adoption story for StandUpGirl.com's foundation and the concert coming up on the 29th of April. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments with Mark Schultz. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, as promised, we have an opportunity to talk with Mark Schultz. He is a platinum-selling, award-winning artist, and he's going to be live in concert on the 29th at Northwest Christian Church to benefit StandUpGirl.com. I'm so delighted uh, that he's lending his tremendous talent to the effort and uh, look forward to uh, hearing him in concert. Mark Schultz, welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Well, let me ask you, you're going to be in um, in Newburgh. That's coming up on the 29th of April. Why why lend your talent to this organization and this uh, effort to reach women who are struggling with abortion decisions? Well, that's a great question, and uh, it's got an easy answer, and that is when I was two weeks old, uh, I was adopted. And uh, I've always said since then, I was getting ready to go on to do a, a benefit one night, and um 
a lady had asked me, she said, have you ever met your birth mom? And I said, no. And, and she said, do you think you will someday? And I said, I don't know if I will or not. And at that point, I just hadn't thought a whole lot about it. And uh, she broke it down for me. She explained how I wouldn't be here today had my birth mom not chosen uh, love and chosen me over what might have been uh, she might have perceived as being best for her at the time. And, uh, and I started to think, oh, my gosh, I wonder if when she chose to give me life, if she was thinking about my wedding day. And I wonder mm-hmm. if she was thinking about the kids that I might have. And I'm glad to say now that I'm married and I've had two kids of our own. We've adopted a little girl from China and we've adopted a little girl that came from the same adoption agency in the same town in the same state that I came from as a tip of the hat to my birth mom for thanking her to say, you know, she gave me life. And so we wanted to give another child an opportunity um, to join our family whose mom chose the same direction. Oh, that is such a sweet story. And I know that uh, people have been inspired by your music, but also by your story as well. And the fact that you're coming to Newburgh to share your music really is an illustration of your heart for, for women who are in difficult decisions and for a ministry like Stand Up Girl that reaches all around the world, providing resources to help women think um, more deeply about the decision to carry a child, to place a child for adoption, and all of the attendant questions that are raised when an unexpected pregnancy um, is discovered. Now, uh, talk a little bit about the music we're going to hear on the 29th. Well, uh, I said all along uh, when I do these events, a couple of uh, months ago, well, I guess it was a couple of years ago now, I uh, I actually made um, uh, I actually made a call every time one of my girls who's adopted has a birthday. I'll call a handful of resource uh, resource centers, and uh, I'll just I'll thank them for the work that they do. Hmm. And they say, hey, we're really struggling right now. We're having a tough time raising money, and we're having a tough time keeping people during COVID. And I told my wife, I said, hey, I'm going to raise a million dollars for resource centers in the next year. And she said, it's in the middle of COVID. There's no way that's going to happen. I just started doing um, banquets for resource centers, and we didn't make a million dollars for resource centers. We made $2 million. (laughs) And uh, people have been coming to these banquets, and they're like, this was your story. And somehow you weaved songs around your story that hit home the point of how important a resource center like Stand Up Girl is. Not only did you pull our heartstrings and we, we had some tears, but it was one of the funniest things, just because I have funny stories, you know, about being adopted and just about our own kids. And they said, we've never laughed so much. We've never, uh, we cried a little bit, and these songs were so inspiring, and we couldn't help but stand up and get behind these organizations that are uh, resource resources for women uh, that don't cross their hands and look at women and say, well, what's, what's your story? But they actually open their arms when these women walk through the doors or walk into, you know, check into a website and that can actually feel God's arms open and the love envelop them to say, we will walk with you through this process because choosing love and choosing life is the, is the right choice. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to let our listeners know, I know you wouldn't say this about yourself, but you're a 14 time Dove award winning nominee, a platinum seller artist. You've touched the hearts of people with your music, whether you're singing about parents praying for their sick child or writing in honor of your great grandmother's sons who fought in World War One. You've really ministered to the hearts of lots of people for you to choose to lend your considerable talent to uh, pregnancy resource centers and ministries that reach out to women. Uh, with unplanned pregnancies, it really says a lot about your character, your love for your birth mother and your love for the Lord. Yeah. 
And I would say this, and thank you for saying that. Um, I would say that anybody who is interested in a Christian event or anybody who's interested in uh, a life-affirming organization like this, um, if you want to come to an event and you just say to yourself, man, I don't know much about it, but I'm a Christian and I just want to show up to something that's going to be wildly entertaining, uh, extremely moving, and uh, and just good for my soul. This is the event you want to you want to turn up for because it's again, it's in my passion, it's my wheelhouse. And uh, after I finished this, I just did an event um, the night before last, and a lady said, you were really what I felt like is you were just taking real life and you were weaving it into stories and songs and bringing it and putting it in front of us as art. And she said it was fun. It was, again, it was a lot of laughter and a lot of tears and a lot of just uh, people walking out feeling like they, that God was with them and they, they had more of a purpose in, in what they were doing in their life. Oh, what a great event. Again, we're talking about the uh, Stand Up Girl uh, fundraising concert that's coming up on April 29th at Northwest Christian Church in Newburgh. Doors will open at 6.15, music will start at 6.45, and the concert at 7 to 8.30. $20 for a single ticket, $35 for couples. Uh, Ages 6 and under are free, and you can purchase your tickets at StandUpGirlEvents.com. Again, that's StandUpGirlEvents.com. My understanding is we're going to have a warm-up act, Jonathan and Emmy. Uh, they're a married couple from Kaiser. They're singing and uh, writing songs together. Emmy's the singer-songwriter for the Stand Up Girl feature song, so they have a connection to the ministry as well. It's just going to be a great evening, and I appreciate your making the point that we're going to enjoy great music, but we're going to laugh, and there's going to be opportunity for us to be moved deeply. So it's it's not going to be a somber uh, evening in which, you know, you expect that you're going to be depressed as you make your way back to the car. This is going to be <laughs> a great, a great time. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's going to be uh, that plus worship, people singing together, coming together for all the right reasons. So uh, if you've ever, ever um, yeah, you don't have to say, hey, I want to come because it's, uh, I'm, you know, I've got a, a great passion for this organization. You may not know that you do yet. Uh, it's just part of showing up as a Christian and saying, Man, uh, I'm just in for a great night of um, ministry, and uh, and I think by the time you leave, you're going to go, oh, I'm being pulled and tugged in my heart that this is an important thing. This is in God's heart to support an organization like this as well. Yeah. In fact, we talked with Don Marie Perez, who's the executive director of Stand Up Girl, earlier in the program. And I have to say, Stand Up is one of the most significant and effective pro-life ministries uh, in the world. It reaches women from all over the globe in places you and I would not be welcome. Uh, so I, I just, I hope people will come to learn more about Stand Up Girl and then learning more. I'm just absolutely convinced they want to support this uh, this ministry. And again, to have you come and present a concert sharing your adoption story, your wonderful music, is just, uh, you know, the recipe for a great evening. And I'm looking forward to it. Thanks. I'm excited about coming up there. So I hope to see everybody soon. And uh, yeah, can't wait. Thank you. Hey, Mark, thank you so much for coming. And thanks for talking with us today. You got it. Take care. God bless. God bless you as well. Again, Mark Schultz, live in concert, sharing his adoption story, his platinum selling, award winning uh, music. Doors will open at 615. Music starts at 645 with Jonathan and Emmy. And then the concert from 7 to 830, $20 for a single ticket, $35 for a couple and ages six and under are free. Um, Purchase tickets at StandUpGirlEvents.com. Again, that's StandUpGirlEvents.com. 
Um, you can uh, expect to have a great evening in support of Stand Up Girl Foundation. And I wanted to mention that they're also supporting, and let's see if I brought my paper in here with that information. We talked about it uh, with Don Marie, but they're also uh, established a um, an organization called loveschoice.com. It was created to take an honest look at the painful beauty of adoption. And I love that phrase because that is an an adequate description of what adoption is all about. It is a painful beauty, and uh, they provide tools to help every woman honestly assess the choices before her so she doesn't just you know, close her eyes and point. She makes a well-informed decision about what to do with her unplanned pregnancy. So um, they'll be in support. Uh, the event will be in support of that as well. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, I read with interest an article on China's public schools. You know, there's lots of attention being paid, and rightly so, on uh, public schools here in the United States and concern that parents have that their children may, in fact, be indoctrinated in some areas. Well, China's public schools are apparently also failing Christian families there. Whether it's atheism in the classroom or high-pressure academic environments, parents are struggling, and we're talking particularly of Christian parents, to find a space that best serves their children. Well, in um, his early teens, one particular student, Huang Yan, he began to withdraw into himself. He and others throughout the um, uh, the story that was f- published in Christianity Today tell their story about um, how they felt unsafe and that it wasn't an environment that nurtured their faith. Now, their actual names are not being used in the article for reasons you probably don't need to uh, uh, even imagine, but he was uh, was once a happy child. The Chinese middle schooler gradually became silent, however, and his father blamed the behavioral shift on the school trauma, a high-pressure environment that sapped his will to learn and to engage. He was uncertain how to help. The family made a dramatic, uh, dramatic decision. They would homeschool their son, an educational choice that currently uh, is outside the law in China. Now, this is a desperate measure on the part of some Christian parents. Many Christians by faith have decided to give their children a Christian education. Now, where they get their curriculum, how they go about it, not altogether clear, but he's a house church pastor in northern China. They do this in order to prevent their children from losing their faith and to give them a better education that is in line with spiritual growth. So they are taking significant risk to protect their children from the indoctrination they would otherwise be exposed to. And again, it's illegal there. Um, whether or not these parents have the resources, the time, which are uh, elements that are all, all uh, will generally raised among parents thinking about homeschooling and whether or not they're fit to train their children. The primary concern is preserving the innocence and the faith of their sons and daughters. Well, Chinese Christian parents raising their children to follow Christ in a society that opposes their beliefs has to confront the, I, the question rather of how to educate and spiritually nurture the next generation without a blueprint. We have tremendous resources here that are readily available There's no blueprint there. There's just a desire to um, steward and teach their their children. Well, Chinese state school curriculum teaches that God does not exist, compares religious belief to foolish superstition. And many first generation Chinese Christians struggle in discerning how to pass their faith on to their children, especially as they face increasing religious restriction. Well, this young boy, he's been assigned the name Huang, uh, this young boy has now graduated. His wife continues to homeschool their youngest child. 
uh, I should say his mother continues to um, homeschool their, his brother, uh, who is in early elementary school. Huang himself is currently jailed on charges related to his own religious activities, unrelated to being homeschooled, but being a faithful follower of Christ has landed him in prison. He and his family were inspired to try homeschooling after they learned more about Christian education. They hoped it could help their son through his mental health crisis. We were watching a child stuck in despair. It was not until uh, we went down the road of homeschooling that we were able to see a turnaround. Somehow they were able to pull that off. Well, they sent their teenage daughter to uh, study in the United States uh, after she had her own difficulties with an oppressive social environment at school. As Christian parents, we have a great burden for the education of our kids. The Shanghai um, professional said the government forces them to go to state school and homeschooling is illegal. This is a very big challenge to many of our brothers and sisters, end quote. Well, through a series of what they describe as administrative and financial miracles, he and his wife were able to send their daughter abroad. And while they were and are grateful for the opportunity, the opportunity, rather, they don't see themselves as a model for other parents agonizing over how to raise their children in the Lord. And that is an agonizing challenge for parents in the People's Republic of China. If you are praying for the persecuted church, remember those parents who are concerned about the uh, the brainwashing the atheist education that their children are subjected to, and it is mandatory. Some parents have chosen to step outside the law and homeschool their children, in this case with one of their children, whom they successfully homeschooled, so much so that their son uh, found himself jailed because of his religious activity, which falls outside the law. But they were able to somehow, and they use the word miraculously, send their daughter abroad for her education. So this is a, a remarkable thing. We can pray. There is really no one true answer on how to face the question of what to do with our children. Because every family is different, pray that Chinese parents will have wisdom on how to face these issues. And there we have our instruction. Pray that these parents will have wisdom on how to face these issues. And as we pray for our own situation here, concerns that we have about the turn that some schools have taken with regard to curriculum and indoctrination, how might we pray for other parents around the globe, in China, for example, who are crying out for wisdom to face these issues. Now, most Chinese families have only one officially sanctioned educational option, and that's state schools. Many Christian parents find it painful to place their children in an ardently atheistic system that belittles their faith and their life. And there's a tremendous cost if they're somehow exposed by their son or daughter who is encouraged to do just that. Well, the government has long banned evangelism and religious instruction for minors under the age of 18 is illegal in China. Still over the past few decades, many officials have looked the other way as Christians found ways to pass on their faith. Some believers have relied on their churches to continue Sunday school lessons. Others uh, fretted that churches were not able to raise up enough uh, uh, pastoral care to assist in spiritual formation for their families. Beginning roughly around the turn of the millennium, more and more Christians across China started to start small church schools to give their children a Christian education. Other families chose to teach their children at home. Uh, Both options had become increasingly popular for house church believers, although the space for church schools 
has constricted, um, been constricted in the past few years. So as we consider the persecuted believers around the world, remember parents in China and other places where their children are required, uh, they must attend compulsory secular education. And I would go beyond secular. It's atheistic education that belittles their Christian faith and is forbidden by law to seek other options. But there are parents who are finding other ways, others who um, grieve the fact that there is no other way for them. So as we pray, remember these parents who desperately long to pass their faith on to their sons and daughters, who by law, if they're under 18, cannot be the subject of evangelism. So it's a struggle, and yet the gospel um, continues to move. God is mighty to save, and we trust that he will continue to do his work, give these parents and church leaders creativity and a favor and opportunity in raising their children in the faith. Well, tomorrow is Friday, and as you may know, on Fridays we take a look at headline news, but we also spend some time looking at the lighter side of the news, and we'll share this week's Christian Outlook in the second hour. I think you'll enjoy some of the interviews that are featured this week um, in that uh, that publication. So that's coming up on Friday, and I hope you will join us. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Sam Moppin for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show. And like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.